I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Control things really interesting because I've sort of changed the way I think quite dramatically. Do you think you have in, control? Well, this, this is what this is what we're going to talk about. I, there's 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 two differences in control. There's the external control, which a lot of us try and apply to things, and then there's actually claiming internal authority, internal control. Yeah, yeah. Like the external, you can't always control, and things are going to come at you, and you're going yeah. to feel emotions, and shit's going to happen. It's about how you internally respond to that. Do you attach to it? Do you let it really affect you, or are you able to like you know observe and have a bit of distance? And, and it's, like we said earlier, it's easier said than done always. You know, sometimes I do freak out, but I'm a lot better these days. I know you, would you say, because this, what you just mentioned there, I think is the number one skill for anyone to learn in life. That mm. between any stressor and your response, there is a space. And what you do in that space, you know, the Viktor Frankl phrase, you know, between, Viktor Frankl was, um, I think, a psychotherapist, or I think, no, sorry, psychiatrist mm. who was in Auschwitz. Okay. Um, and he's written a classic book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, he's got this phrase, between stressor and response is a space. And in that space sits our power to choose our response. Mm. And with our response comes our growth and freedom, right? And I've got to say, that's probably the number one thing I've changed in my life over the last years, which is probably why, honestly, I've never felt this content and calm and happy frankly, is because I feel now that that space, if something happens in life, it's not always easy, right? But you can train yourself to get good at this where you go, oh, I can, there's, there's a couple of different perspectives I mm -hmm. can take here. Why don't I train myself to take what I call the happiness perspective, not the unhappiness one, the empowering perspective, not the disempowering one. And it, it really is, um, I think it's, there's a whole chapter in the book on this because I, I it's, and it's my favorite chapter because I, I think this is something we can practice every day. Any time in the day, you come under some what I call social friction. Someone's doing something in a way that you don't like. 
and you think, oh, that person acted differently, I'd feel better. So, I get that a lot in the studio, actually. <laughs> well, but what you're effectively, if people think that what we're effectively saying is, when people around me who I can't control start acting differently, I'm going to be happy. So you're basically putting your own inner happiness in other people's hands. It's like, well, you could be waiting a long time if you think the world has to go down a certain way for you to be happy. But you can literally train yourself to have a different response in every situation in life. And the way, the way I sort of try and explain this to people is every situation in life has got multiple perspectives. Right? So let's say a couple are having an argument, mm -hmm. right? Two people having an argument. What happened? Well, I think it kind of depends who you ask. If you ask one party, they will give you a report of what just went down. Walk around to the other side of the table and ask the other person, they could well give you a completely different report of the same situation, right? So the same objective situation, two different perspectives. Uh, there was a study done with football fans. I love this, right? Psychologists took football fans and they showed them the same incident. Two different sets of football fans. They asked them what happened. Two completely different reports of the same incident, right? So it makes me then ask the, the, the quite deep question, well, what is truth anyway? Like, wow, what, what, that's a big one. It is, yeah, 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 what is real? And I've realized for your happiness, right? The truth doesn't matter. What matters is that you choose a happiness perspective on that story. So for example, I don't know, the boss sends you an email in the afternoon that you're like, man, I can't believe my boss sent me that. Like, I, I, I can't believe the tone they've used. They not know I've, I've worked in this company for the past five years. I know how to do my job. I've worked the last two weekends. Whatever disempowering narrative we want to take, that creates emotional stress in the body. That emotional stress is real, right? We know it, emotional stress is associated with all kinds of health problems, but that emotional stress will need to be dissipated and neutralized in some way. You might do that by diving into the Ben and Jerry's later. You might do that by having a, you know, five beers after work instead of one beer or whatever, right? You need to do something with that, but you can train yourself to go, okay, hold on a minute. Well, what could be going on in my boss's life? Oh, well, maybe my boss is under pressure from his or her boss. Maybe my boss's daughter was up last night with earache and they're knackered and they're taking it out on me. Actually, it doesn't really matter, but when you train yourself to do this regularly, you have to look far for like opportunities for this, right? Every day we're exposed to social friction. You start to get good at this. Mm. You know, what you said, right? About how you respond, the perspective you take on something, that determines the reality. That's your reality. And I know it sounds ridiculous. You think, oh, yeah, sure, in some situations, but some situations are really, really hard to do this in. Yeah, it is. It is. But you know what? The conversation, probably out of every conversation I've ever had on my podcast that has literally changed who I am. I don't know if you ever heard it, Jamie, or not. It was a conversation I had about two years ago with someone called Dr. Edith Eager. She was a 93-year-old lady who, when she was 16... She was growing up in Eastern Europe yeah. and um, they got a knock on the door. Her, her sister and her parents get taken to Auschwitz concentration camp. Oh my God. Right? No, but check this, right? Within two hours of getting there, her, both her parents were murdered, right? Later that day, she, as a 16-year-old young lady, gets asked to dance for the senior prison guards, right? First thing she said to me was, I never forgot Rongen the last thing my mum said to me, which was, Edie, no, Edie never forgets, nobody can ever take from you 
the contents that you put inside your mind. So she said to me, oh my when, God. I was, when I was dancing, I wasn't dancing in Auschwitz. In my mind, I was dancing in Budapest Opera House. Wow. There was an orchestra behind me. There was a full house. It was a, I was wearing this beautiful dress. I thought, okay, that's pretty incredible. Then she said, whilst I was in Auschwitz, I started to see the prison guards as the prisoners. They weren't free, right? They weren't living the life that they wanted to live. In my mind, I was free. I mean, this is pretty incredible stuff, Amazing right? Amazing stuff. It, it, it seems in those age. extreme environments, that's where that you get- That's where you, 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 you learn the truth. This, you get this extreme way of thinking that flips it. Yeah, the, but, but, but it actually, the, the, and, and then the, the very final thing that I think on most days, I think about these final words she said. She said, wrong and, I've lived in Auschwitz and I can tell you the greatest prison you will ever live inside is the prison you create inside your minds. And that's what we all do day to day. We create this mental turmoil. We put uh, stories on things. Um, we, we, we get triggered by the actions of other people. Man, that guy cut me up in the street. I can't believe they shouldn't be driving, right? Whatever. I spent much of my life with those disempowering narratives. But what I want to share with people is that you can change that anytime you want. You just need to practice. Just as if you have never run before and someone says do a marathon, you're like, no way, I have to train for that. I promise you, if you start to reframe bits of social friction, I think I've been doing this for about five years now. It starts to become automatic. Like you start to, you, you show up in the world and it's, you know, going to the, you're talking about, well, what am I saying then? Should we not be driving for success, right? It comes down to the energy behind that drive. Like when you learn to reframe situations, you approach life with compassion, right? It doesn't mean you accept bad behavior, but if you're feeling triggered by someone's behavior and then you respond from that triggered place, it never goes well. Think about no. relationships. When does it ever go well when someone's feeling triggered? It's, it's like being given an exam and someone says, do you want a minute to answer this or do you want an hour? Like, do you want to actually think about things properly and respond yeah. in a calculated yeah. way that serves you best, I guess. But, but the, I, I suppose the interesting thing as well, um, Rongan, is where you, where you go, you, you were talking about your success that, you, that you've had, right? And now you're in this place of contentment, which is amazing to be. It, do people or individuals, do we have to strive for that success and find out ourselves that actually that's not what we want because because with you if if you had never got the success maybe you would never have found your contentment where you are right now so it's a juxtaposition right it it's is a catch 22 it really yeah. is i think this is one of these big deep questions in life which is can we really be taught this or do we need to go exactly through an experience i don't know the answer to that i'd like to believe what do you think it is i, I feel like experience is the number one i think because if this was your first book and it went and it didn't do well would you then be demoralized and then be driven harder, harder to work? Yeah. probably but, yeah. but that's also because of the way i was back then and how i saw my self-worth yeah now i think i was chatting to oliver Bertman about this on my podcast recently and he has this theory which i i kind of very much agree with that the happiest people in the world, we've never heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> actually, we never know them. That is, we, we ain't following them on Instagram. We ain't following their stories. They are just living a happy and contented life. We, we don't even know who they are, right? So I think there's a lot of people so out true. there who are super contented. Like I tell you, right, quick size that story. That is great, by the way. That is so It's true. true. It's so true. It's, it's so like, true. We, we just don't know. They're, they're out there being happy. There's, right. There's a, a, a chap I know in the UK, they run a very successful company. And one of his business partners is married to a uh, Chinese lady from when you know he was out living in China for 10 years. 
and you know they've had kids they both live in the uk now and i remember i was at a meal with him a couple of years ago and he said to me he said like i said to my wife you know why don't we get your brother out you know you you know there's good opportunity here if your brother wants to leave he doesn't earn that much money where he is come out here and we can help sort him out and stuff and she his wife phoned his brother and his brother's like well why would i go to the uk like i'm like i see my friends every night after work i get to hang out with them at the weekend and see my family yeah. like i can't remember the in exact incident there was, there was no there was he no was like, well why would i go there to him like i love my life he doesn't earn much but everything he wanted he was, that was content was there and i think it comes also down to conditioning i think it's very hard you know I, were you born were you brought up in the uk like me yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so i think you know, it's a very Western capitalist society where the way we're even, you know, you said you went to boarding school, right? Yeah. So I, you know, a lot of my mates at university were from boarding school and I, there's a certain trait I've certainly, you know, you, you know, I went to a competitive boys school as well. So you, you grow up of course, you're having a certain view of the world. So I think when you have that view of the world, maybe, maybe this is the answer, right? Maybe if that's your viewpoint of the world, maybe you have to get that level of success to go, oh, it wasn't yeah. all that. But what if you didn't have that viewpoint yeah, of the world? Yeah, you cut that out altogether. What if you, you get rid of that at source? As we parent, like I feel a lot of the time with my two kids, 11 year old boy, nine year old girl, like I feel, and I, you know, I have the greatest respect for teachers and what they're, you know, but I do, I do have a fundamental problem with certain elements of the school system. And it's mm. archaic. And I just copying, think, collaborating, you can't I, do it. I, it's I, like, I think it's uh, what I love at the minute is this readdressal of survival of the fittest. There's actually survival of the friendliest. I think yeah. someone, someone said, which which is amazing. It's about collaboration. It's it, not, it really is. And but, I feel that will bring a lot more happiness. But, but I don't think schools certainly schools my experience. I don't want to speak for every school. I'm sure there are some incredible schools who are, you know, changing the game in this. But I feel a lot of the time with my kids, I'm trying to unschool what they're learning yeah, yeah, yeah. at school. Yeah. Loads of people are saying that now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. well, yeah, I'm putting them in that system because I don't really have a good option, I think, apart from that. But I feel, yeah, I, I, it's a great question. But, but, I, but I, I guess people would argue that, oh, excellence won't um, prevail then because there won't be this competition. But I, I imagine excellence would still but arise that from... That was my point, right? Yeah. Is that, okay, if we then all live in this sort of um, utopia where we're all sort of calm and content and we're actually happy, yeah, we would live in this sort of content, happy existence, but would our medicine progress? Would we um, be able to have electric cars? Would we be saving the world or trying to the, save the, the world? The, but also, the would, you, the car, would there be war? We wouldn't care. We wouldn't want to. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, so, then so then, we'd literally just be living and we'd be happy. Our progress and our intellect is <laughs> actually so like the biggest curse. Well, yeah, but, and, and that's, that's the, so true. It's, it's so the true. wider philosophical point that, well, how are we measuring success as a society? More innovation, more this, more that. Well, that's one way to measure it. That's how we measure it. That's how I measured it in myself, right? But maybe not all societies measure progress like that. But I also think that this doesn't mean, like I felt this way for a couple of years now. I've still worked hard over the last year to get this book over the line. I yeah. still work hard every week in my podcast to try and put out a really meaningful long form conversation. So it's not as if my contentedness means I don't do anything anymore and I just sit there on the grass looking at the sun every day, if it was even <laughs> sounds, sunny every day, which it isn't. <laughs> but no, I don't. I, it's this, it's that thing behind the energy behind it, right? I'm still, is the word driven? Like even that word makes me question. Well, but, like, it, but it is drive. I, I still have a drive to 
achieve excellence. Yeah, 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 of right? course. I still want to have, I, I'm fascinated by the arts of conversation, right? Yeah. I still challenge myself every time a guest is sitting in front of me in my studio, right? How authentic can this be? Can you, can you get in the zone and have just an incredible authentic conversation? Mm. That drive hasn't gone. The difference now is if I don't, it doesn't say anything about who I am. There you go. That, that's the answer. That's it. Because I, yeah. I can see you suddenly um, struggling in your own mind because you were saying, hang on, but I'm content where I am, but also I'm driving for excellence. So that sort of doesn't work. But actually, you're just content in yourself. You found that place of contentment. Yeah. You're, which, you're owning where that drive's coming from, essentially. Yeah. And I, if I, I have a bad conversation, I don't beat myself up anymore. Like do I you used not? To. Do, you, do you still Mate, not? I really. Uh, That's hey, an listen. amazing thing. To okay. Have. Okay. So let me let me just. If you uh, left and didn't that. like it, let, I would let think me it's caveat that. Compared to how I used to, I don't. Do I occasionally fall into old patterns? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm. But what I, what I feel I can do now is catch myself. Like in the past, I'd fall into that loop. Man, come on, you should have done this, or you know, you were rubbish. You know, whatever that 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 negative self would have been. And I wouldn't have had the awareness that that was what that was what was going on. I would just be doing it. Yeah. Whereas now I can catch myself, and it's also a signal to myself to go. I wonder why you're falling into that loop. Like if I'm doing it today, this morning, like this morning, I've not had a great morning, honestly, today, because I went to bed at about one one a.m. last night. I know that's not late for some people. Normally, I'm in bed by nine p.m. I get up at five. The that's, dream. That's the rhythm <laughs> yeah, that works dream, well yeah. for me. So, me going to bed at one o'clock is like the equivalent of someone else's three a.m. Mm. like night out. So, I've been knackered and a bit emotionally sensitive this morning. But instead of reacting to that, I'm like, okay, wrong, and you're not at your best today because you know you're underslept. So, I feel sometimes if I fall into an old pattern, it's going, oh. Are you working too hard? The alarm. You, you recognize it's, the yeah, alarm. It's just like it's an early warning system to go, oh, you need to go to bed early tonight or you need to look after yourself. That, so I think awareness is something I have now that I didn't have. So I'm not perfect. That's, that's the thing that's really helped me is there's no such thing as perfection with it. It doesn't exist. But I'm greatly improved or I am improved to, to how I was. Yeah. It's yeah. not like suddenly overnight, I'm just going to become Zen and everything is sweet. Yeah. But I've now got like tactics and methods to be able to cope better with things like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the biggest thing I found and actually what taught me was this was tinnitus. Tinnitus, the constant ringing in my ears, right? Mm. Incurable, right? So you have to accept it. So I had to accept I was going to have this ring thing. So I treat it like aircon in the room. If you're lying in bed at night, you hear aircon. If you're on holiday or wherever you are, you go, it's fine. If you thought about the aircon, you'd hear it. So I had this. And, wow. and so I became accustomed to this ringing noise. Um, the same with anxiety or depression, OCD, insomnia, whatever it is. It's, it's an acceptance. This is who you are. And it's the hardest thing to do. So you go to the doctor, the therapist, psychotherapist, whoever it is, and they say, um, you've got to learn to live with it. It's the worst piece of advice you can have, right? Because you're like, what do you mean? I, I, I can't live with this. But it's actually also true in lots of ways. Because what you realize is once you've learned to, you, you learn to deal with it, our insecurities, our people pleasing, whatever it is, once you realize that you can have control over it, I get, I you're guess. going to live with it but you are going to get control over it. So it's again, it's, it's kind this, of a really extreme example it, of, of what we're talking about. It's like yeah, having to actually yeah. deal with this synapse being, being told that you're, there's this frequency hitting. You just have to be okay with it. But wrong, would you say that was wrong to, to or, or the, my explanation? In terms of? In terms of saying that, you know, in terms of all these things that we have, we have to learn to accept them. And once you learn to accept, that's the road to freedom. I mean, just beautifully put. Like, it is absolutely right. beautiful. I mean, 
acceptance it's just one of the most important things it's the hardest thing it's the hardest thing oh my god and it's, it's so hard the most when you get it and even this whole thing about reframing actually speaks to acceptance it's just kind of it's not you know anytime we're wishing something was other than the way it is we're bringing in tension and friction into our who we are into our bodies right it's like oh, you know once you accept you, you you sort of almost take its power away you know once you accept that someone's um behaved a certain way because you know that's the way that they've been brought up and that's their reality of the world it's just you just take the sting out of the situation and then you can move on and make whatever progress you're making and you know it's i, I think it is an extreme example because but then there's also a lot of science now on you know our brains are constantly filtering out information if, if we if we were aware of everything our brain was taking in right now we, we wouldn't be able to have a conversation there's lights there's stuff there's noises outside there's you know whatever there's whatever there's people around our brain is trying to make life easy for us so anything it deems unimportant it's just filtering away so we can concentrate on this conversation now i haven't had tinnitus myself but that same principle could be applying there where it's like when I accept that there's multiple inputs, one of the inputs coming in is the ringing in my ears. When I accept it, and maybe through mindfulness or through other techniques, you learn to put your attention somewhere else. Maybe, you know, maybe, for example, I mean, this is quite out there, but I could have tinnitus at the moment, but maybe my brain is filtering it out. It's yeah. not necessary for what I'm doing. I know I don't want to disrespect no, no, people. I had it as a kid. I remember I used to say to my mum, I can hear silence. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, I can hear silence. Forgot about it. And then years later, I suddenly clocked onto it. Yeah. I remember saying that as a kid. But so, so tinnitus is when the, the, the hair, the small, tiny hair is damaged, right? And, yeah, it, and yeah. it's sending uh, signals a to signal your brain. To your brain yeah, and it, it feels like it can't hear those hurts anymore. Well, it's just you're, set, you're basically getting a signal to your brain that you're constantly hearing a noise. It's sort of, yeah, at this yeah. point. So, you, so you I, can't I, I guess it. there might be a new way of looking at it, whether you can actually hack your brain to ignore that signal well you to... do that's what you you basically you do but the interesting thing about the outside noise is what we said wrong and is um it's so true it's like with a negative thinking we have how many you would know this yeah. how many how many thoughts do we have a day yeah i, I can't remember it's it's, it's insane the number it, insane so th all those thoughts the entire time yeah. imagine like barcodes going through our heads but we cling on to the negative that's what we do so you can train yourself to go right don't cling on to it. brush that negative like mm. a feather just hit it with a feather yeah. but cling on to the positive rather than those, those it's negatives not, it's not the way you currently are now is not the way you have to stay yeah. right it's like okay cool let me take something from this conversation let me just be aware of it ah oh, there it is again there i'm again down that negative path okay cool a lot of people say um okay now that i'm aware now what i'm like don't underestimate awareness awareness is massive simply being aware that you're doing it is the is the first and most important step in any change i would say at yeah. least you now know something to which previously you were blind to um and the other thing you said about the tinnitus reminds me a lot about chronic pain a lot of people we know from some of the science like a lot of people who suffer with chronic pain they know yoga or breathing can dramatically reduce their perception of pain mm -hmm. right so i'm not a chronic pain expert but it's really interesting we think about that you think well what's the pain just vanished has, has the thing that caused the pain just 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 gone no we're doing something our biology is changing in such a way our attention is going in such a way where actually we're no longer registering that pain 
Wow. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. I find that really interesting. And then you think, well, if you go back to first principles, we can apply that to, I think, lots of different things in life. You know, yeah. where are we putting our attention? Where, where are we not putting our can, attention? Can, can I ask you a question? And I'm sorry to hear about your father, but did the passing of your father, was that a bit of a catalyst for the new sort of ways of thinking and kind of rev revolutionized? 100%. Yeah, because I, mean, I lost my mum and it was from that point that it kind of started, the walls kind of fell down a little bit and you, you then start to bring on this new way of thinking. Yeah. Um, um, sorry, also to hear about your mum. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few big kind of uh, earth-shaking moments in my life, mm -hmm. which, you know, before and after you like different people. Um, dad dying was absolutely one of them because I used, you know, a, I think for anyone when a parent dies, it's a big moment. Um, as well as the kind of emotional hole in my life. There was a, there was a kind of physical hole day to day because I moved back to help look after my dad. So I helped my brother and my mum look after my dad who was chronically unwell for 15 years. So, you know, I lived five minutes away. I'd see dad three times a day. So suddenly, not only, you know, the, that emotional connection, but it's like, oh, physically each day, I suddenly had all this time. Yeah, empty space. Yeah, and in that time I'd go walking. And I would just think, and that's when I think for the first time in my life, these kind of existential questions start to come up. You know, who am I? What am I doing? Whose life are you leading? Is it your life or someone else's life? And that was that moment, which you never know at the time, but that's just, you just, it almost just puts you on a different trajectory. And then what, nine years later, you've ended up in a completely different place because for the first time in your life, you're not taking your life for granted, you're actually asking questions like, where has this life come from? Why, why am I living this way? Is this what I really want? And here's the funny thing that I think about recently, that all the things I do now to try and help people, try and, you know, I've, I've stated before that my mission throughout my career is to help improve the lives of 100 million people. That's what I, that's what drives your, me. Your, it's a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. That's what it is. It's yeah, a I didn't know that. yeah, it's it a BHAG. Yeah, and you know, people go, well, "How will you know?" Well, you know what? I don't know. And in some ways, love that. some ways it doesn't matter. It's just an aspirational thing that helps me go. Well, that's my goal. So, when there's like ten opportunities, it's like, well, is this going to help me get towards that hundred million number? Yeah. Okay. Great. Then maybe it's something I should be considering. It's, it's, it's. It doesn't matter whether I get there or not. Just even the effort. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, uh, great what you just said. That is, for so many people, that it should be the case. People... Um, say I got to achieve it, but actually having a goal, a BHAG, a big head. So this is what I want to achieve. And there's a great business, terrible name. It's called, um, does it make the boat go faster? A rower basically started it. And every single time he was rowing with his team, yeah. he was like, we're going to go for a pint tonight. Does it make the boat go faster? No, it doesn't. Okay. I'm going to wear this Lycra. Does it make the boat go faster? And he started a business yeah. about it. And so you're constantly going as well. Does it make the boat go faster? Yeah. If it doesn't, don't do it. So you can separate. Yeah, it just helps. It helps yes. in all the noise. It helps. You know, for me, that a goal is not always about achieving it. It's about setting the compass, setting the direction of where you want to go for the foreseeable future. And you can change your goal. You know, I also don't want to be tied to it forever. If at some point in my life, it doesn't feel as right to me, then I'll change it. Like that's another big thing about happiness, I think, is how attached we get to certain ideas or certain identities. Like I'm not attached anymore to being a doctor or even being a father. Like, you know, the, these are identities that society has really given to me. You know, you're a doctor, you're a father. No, of course I am those things. But I don't think there's a problem with the identity necessarily. It's how how attached we get to it, right? So if who Rongan is, is a doctor, well, here's the problem, is if I get sick and I can't work, what do I feel at that point? What happens if I get fired from my job? What happens when I retire and I'm no longer a doctor? And this is why so many people struggle in retirement. Their whole sense of who they are has gone, right? So I'm not attached to being a doctor anymore. It's something I do. It's not who I am. But the same thing with the father, like, to be clear, being a father is one of the most important roles that I play. I'm, you know, how I bring up my children. Um, you know, am I able to bring them up to have good morals, to, to be compassionate, to be kind, to treat people with respect? That's something I spend a huge amount of time and energy doing, right? But it's not who I am. And because I've seen patients, like I've seen a lot of female patients, and I'm not saying, it's just, I'm just talking about my experience, and I'm sure there are a lot of males who feel this way as well, but you know, they're so attached to their role as a mum. It's like, you know, being a good mum is who I am. That like when their teenage son or daughter is screaming at them and saying you're a crap mum when they're having a rebellion, they're coming in feeling anxious and depressed. Like, you know, all I've wanted to do is be a good mum. And then my son said this to me. That's when we are so attached to that identity. So I say to people, don't be attached to those identities. Instead, think about your values. What are your values, Right. My three core values at this stage of my life are integrity, compassion, curiosity. So those three things I, I think really sum up everything about who I am or who I try and be. And I use those values in every aspect of my life. When I'm stopping off at the coffee shop to buy a coffee, those are how I try and behave. When I'm a podcast host and I have a guest in my studio, those are how I try and behave. When I'm a, a guest 
on the Private Parts podcast, I try and behave with those values. So those values are who I am, actually. It's yeah. not those identities. And I think if people can just make that subtle shift in their minds, I think it's really freeing and liberating. That's amazing because uh, my mum had uh, that. She was just a mum and she had empty nest syndrome, yeah. right? Where you kids flee the nest and she had that. But um, I suppose my question as well is, wrong is that I've only, I, we've, this is the first time we've met. I've listened to your podcast for yeah, a couple of years now. Um, you, and I, and I see your social media and everything. You, um, you are disciplined in great ways. You are, I would say, a sort of perfectionist in lots of different ways because of your upbringing and loads yeah. of different stuff. Um, You'd be right on that. Yeah, yeah which, is, which is great. And just what you've achieved. When did you first become vulnerable? Because vulnerability, without knowing it when you're growing up, you see that possibly as a um, negative. So yeah. then how did you stum suddenly you allow know, yourself to be vulnerable? It, yeah, it's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. Um, I can't tell you the exact moment where... I don't think it was one of those. Eureka, oh, yeah. I oh, that was amazing. I was vulnerable. That it, it wasn't that. I think it's podcasting. Yeah, I was gonna. That's what I was going to lead on to. And I'll tell you why. Right, I remember when I started the podcast in 2018. Again, it was performance. It was oh, a doctor should sound like this when they're doing a podcast, right? So. It, it sounds like you've been dishonest. It's not, it's not dishonesty. It's just you, you're trying to be a certain way because that's what you think you should be doing. And I very quickly learned, I thought, well, wait a minute. If you're trying to perform each week and you're going to put out a weekly show, it's going to get very exhausting and tiring very, very quickly. You're not, you know, you, I just thought the easiest thing way to do is just be yourself. Just literally be yourself. Open up, share things. Like I remember, I can't remember which episode it was. Early on, I shared something. I think episode 37, I remember, it was with Dr. Gabor Mate. This, That's so funny you remember it. I remember it's it because so it's, funny it, you remember it's, it. it's a big, po it's, it's one, actually, it's one of those moments where I saw my podcast be shared everywhere. Okay. It was one of those moments where you go, oh, wait a minute, something about this episode has just struck a chord and I'm seeing it on Twitter and I'm just seeing everyone share it. You know, you don't get that one every episode. I think that's the one that I saw as well. I it, think that's the it one. It was one that, of those moments where I thought, oh, wow, a lot of people are listening to this. Yeah. And I think I'd been quite open with Gabor Mate in that conversation about some things that I struggle with. Mm. And you think, oh, people aren't, aren't kind of judging you. And like, it actually brings you closer to people. You're hearing an echo. Human, You're hearing an human echo. Connection. It's human. And I think, you know, particularly with these long form conversations I have, you kind of open up and I've seen the power of vulnerability. I've also seen when I'm vulnerable, it gives my guests the permission to open up. When my guest is vulnerable, I suddenly start sharing stuff that I didn't even know I was thinking about sometimes. And you have a deeper connection. And you have a deeper connection. And then the audience lean in. Mm. And the audience, like I think half the problem with this performance is we give this, we try and exude perfection. And, you know, I'm probably as guilty of this on social media as anyone else. I think the medium lends itself to that. You know, I don't post a photo of my dirty kitchen. I, ju I just don't. I mean, but that's yeah, what it... Yeah, but that's okay because you, you wouldn't post a podcast of you getting up in the morning and yawning. And, you exactly. Know, you, you wouldn't just... I you get wouldn't it, do but it. I yeah. think that that sort of perfectionist presentation on social media, I think conditions us to think that life is often... Perfect. perfect and it's not even and i don't think anyone's intent well i don't think by and large people are intentionally trying to do that i think it's just the way as you say you don't you don't post everything in life you just you post the things that you want to share 
what is your I've got three things what is your biggest personal achievement biggest external achievement and something that you would love to achieve big questions okay um biggest personal achievements Well, the thing that comes to mind immediately is to do with parenting. And I would actually say the biggest personal achievement is letting go of the guilt I felt when my son nearly died when he was six months old. Right, so quick summary was when my son was six months old, we, my wife and I, we went, we just got on holiday to France for a week. He had a convulsion, he stopped moving, um, went to the local A&E department, they were really scared, he got blue lighted down into a bigger hospital, he had lumbar punctures, lines put on his neck, we didn't know if he was going to make it that night. It was all a preventable vitamin deficiency basically, um, low vitamin D leading to low calcium in his blood which is why he had a convulsion. He survives, he's fine, but I felt really guilty, I felt how could I have let this happen to my son? I've been to one of Europe's best medical schools. I've got my specialist exams, my GP exams. I've got an immunology degree with all my so-called um, ticks. How could I allow that to happen to my son? Now, that's clearly me being beating myself up and being harsh, right? No one else would think you did this to him. <laughs> that's just a story in my head. But that guilt I felt... So I remember leaving the hospital in France, I made myself a vow because modern medicine saved his life. But at the same time, they did nothing to address, well, if he's been uh, lacking vitamin D for the past six months and it's a critical nutrient for your immune system, could this be why he's got eczema? Could this be why there's some allergies? And they were like, oh, we don't know, you know, he's fine now, take him. I thought this is not good enough for me. So I, I left the hospital and I made myself a vow. I'm gonna get my son back to full health as if this had never happened. That is a huge part of why I do what I do today. The things I learned on that journey, yeah, my son is a thriving, happy, healthy 11-year-old boy. I'm very happy about that, of course. But the, you know, going back to your question, the thing that came up for me, that personal achievement is that guilt drove me to learn loads, but that guilt was getting in the way of me being a truly present parent. He didn't need a guilty dad. He didn't want his dad being guilty on everything. Right, so letting go of that, which I really feel I've done, and I've always had a great relationship with my kids, but I feel it's even closer and more authentic now with my son because I've let go of that guilt. Right, That would be, I think, uh, my number one personal achievement. Amazing. How long did it take you to get rid of the guilt? Yes. Really? Yes. It I didn't eats. even know I was... I it eats. Guilt really takes... I would only say, there's probably even still bits there. Right? Like, let's say it was 100% before. And, you know, these are arbitrary figures. It's right? wild, though, because someone listening would say, oh, why on earth would you feel Exactly. Like, yeah. But we've all got these narratives on sure. our head. You know, talk about Edith Eager, the greatest prison we'll ever live in is the prison we create inside our mind. No one said you, you've let your son down. No, nobody said wrong and you, you've been, you know, negligent. No, no one said that. No one thought that. It's just inside my head. My perfectionist tendency that I have to be perfect. Yeah, you're, per I, you're perfect. I've let down my son. I should have been a perfect dad. I shouldn't have allowed this to happen. And our relationship was just so beautiful 
Uh, it always has been, but it's even, I, I, I think it's even better, which is why when you ask me that question, like I really trust myself in the moment now to come up with w what's coming up for me as you ask me that question. You could ask me this next week and maybe I'll have a different answer, but as you ask me that now, yeah. that's my biggest personal achievement is letting go of that I guilt. love that. I love that. What is your biggest external, external achievement? Wow, biggest external achievement, especially given everything we've been talking about. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, 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 I think I'm very lucky. I've, I've, I've had a level of external success that I know many people would love to have. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, it didn't always mean I was content underneath. Um, but out of all the things that I've done, Oh, this is hard. Yeah, these questions. I'm picking <laughs> one thing. It okay, I'm gonna narrow it down. It's either yeah. my latest book, Happy Mind, Happy Life, because I truly think it's the best thing I've ever created. It's changed people's lives. Like I really I don't feel I could do anything better than this at this moment. So it's either that or it's my podcast. I'd probably you know, it's it's a it's a close tie, a tie. but I'm gonna we go can... for the podcast and I'll yeah. tell you why. Because and you guys will know what it takes to put out consistent, high quality conversations. Authentic and different each time, yeah. Week in, week out for what is now four and a half years. I, I'm talking to fellow podcasters, you know how difficult that is. Very hard. And, you know, anyone could get on a run for a few weeks, a few months, but, you know, when you can't be bought, you know, you've got to like, oh man. I've got to do my intros for this one. It's coming out. Yeah, we've got to, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, I feel really proud of that, that I've from scratch without even a big brand, I guess, like, you know, when I started, I, you know, it wasn't like a Brussels brand or a Fern Cotton in terms of how, how many people know mm. who you are. Yet the podcast quickly accelerated to getting very similar numbers. Now you build so it from a, scratch with nothing. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's what I guess I'm proud of. Like that was from nothing. In a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a podcast industry where there are literally millions to choose from. And I, I feel what I love about podcasting, I don't think you can hack it. Like I think it is a word of mouth medium. Mm. And I think people are, try, are trying to do PR and all kinds of stuff. And I understand that. But I think ultimately, it's not like linear television or radio where you're served up what is on at that time. No, people are going onto their phone, onto their podcast app, and they are choosing out of this huge selection. They're consciously designed to give you their time. If you're producing average content, they're going to go, okay, cool. I'm going to choose something else now. So I feel, I, d I don't feel it's to do with PR and publicity. Of course, that helps a little bit to, you know, to mm. get your name heard, of course. But I feel this has been a very much a kind of from the ground up, a grassroots sharing it word of mouth. Hey guys, you've got to listen to this. This really helped me think differently or this changed my sleep. So you're going to make me pay. I'm going to go for the podcast, but it's a close yeah. second with the latest book. And the last one I asked is what do you want to achieve? But I think you answered that with you want to help a hundred million people. Would that say that that's the thing you want to achieve? Or actually let's, that's your BHAG, your big area. Day um, what do you want to achieve? So someone said to you, sorry, well, I'm asking you the question now. And I have a lamp. I can say, this is, this is your wish. I'll give you a wish now. What do you want to achieve? I'd love to get to the point. You've hinted at this a few times. Do you really feel like that? You know, it's just aspirational. It's, 
I no longer need external validation in the way that I used to. Can I say I never fall into all patterns? No, right? It will still rear its head now and again, particularly when I'm tired, right? Or, and it does, it did happen with something, you know, a couple of months ago and, you know, I really struggled with it. And it, for me, it's a, it was a lesson to go, okay, cool, you're still not a piece here with something. Why is this situation bothering you? And instead of pushing it away, I'm going, okay, cool. I thought I was okay with this, but this, is, this situation has brought it up again for me. So it's like going in deep then, trying to figure out, well, why has you that lean come into in? It. Lean, lean into, into it. it. Instead of leaning away and then lean going in, to gambling yeah. or booze or yeah. ice cream or whatever I might choose to distract myself from. It's like, no, isn't this interesting? Yes. That you thought you were okay with this, but this situation has come up and you're not. So bringing that back into your question, more than the 100 million, I guess, what I would really want is at some point, can I get to that stage where I'm, I'm truly not bothered anymore about what people think or what people say? Because like, I think when you get to that point, that is real inner contentment and happiness when you can just be. Just doing, doing what you're doing and people can have their opinion, but you know, their opinion is none of my business. They're entitled to their opinion. I would love to get to that place yeah, as well. I, yeah. I, I feel I'm, you know, I was going to say, I think I'm close, right? But you know what? Whenever you think you're close in this stuff, you're just one uh, red herring away from, from being shown where you're really not. So all I can say is I'm considerably better than I used to be. I feel I'm close, but I'm sure life will give me uh, plenty of things to, to show me where I'm potentially not free and not liberated from it. But I, th I hope at some point in, in my life, I get to that point. It's amazing. Rogan, listen, we've taken up so much of your time. Um, I wanna, we can go and get your books. We're going to leave all the links below and your podcast and everything, but we can get your podcast on all platforms. Yeah. We can get your books anywhere, everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Yeah. Um, it has been a complete honor Dude, honestly, do we, do we have to stop here. Yeah, we okay. got. Yeah, I, I got to, go to Nottingham. I know. I want to keep going. I know. <laughs> I have no watches on, <laughs> and in my podcast studio, we don't have clocks, oh, so I, I, I don't, don't know what the time it, is. It's two o'clock, and I have to go and get a train to Nottingham in an hour. So I, 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 I could sit and chat to you. Well, well, let's do it again sometime. I, I would love to. Let's do it again. Can you, sometime. can you make that deal and come back? I make that deal at some point. We'll, we'll come we'll back. On. I love the setup here. Let's do it. Let's continue. Right. Honestly, it's been a. Um, yeah, dude. Thank you so, so much. What we'd like to do at the end of the podcast is leave our listeners with something inspirational. I would say, no matter who you are, no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter whether you are struggling, no matter whether there's stuff going on in your relationships and you can't see a way out, like nothing is permanent. Things will always change. And this whole idea of core happiness that we've touched on the final words I want to give to you is that core happiness is what every human being wants, but it's a skill, right? It's not something that just happens to you by fluke one day. Happiness is a skill that you can train, you can practice, you can get better at it once you know what to practice. I was not taught the skill growing up. I was not taught the skill at school. Society certainly did not teach me the skill of happiness, but I truly believe it's a trainable skill for everyone. So the message I'd like to share at the end is you can get better at being happy. Maybe take one thing that we discussed today that you resonated with and go, you know what, I'm going to try that. I'm going to just try and bring that in. I'm going to try it for seven days, that reframing social friction, and I'm going to see how I feel. 
If you feel no different, fine. Say, that guy was talking nonsense. I'm not interested. But I'm pretty sure if you try that every day for the next seven days, you'll go, wow, this is pretty, this, this feels good. You know, I feel different in my life. So yeah, final thoughts from me. Anyone can get good at happy. It's just a matter of practice. Roman, thank you so much. Everybody will see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>